All right, let's quickly continue today from the book of Hebrews chapter 11 again. We have been talking about building up your faith, building up our faith, building ourselves up in the area of our faith. Our emphasis is that faith must be built up by regular usage. That's the emphasis. Faith must be built up by regular usage. Faith is built up, not usage as in, let me get something from God, but making sure that every aspect of our lives operates by faith. That's what we are talking about. Not as if um, every day I must get something. Sometimes we say, okay, you use your faith in small things, and what we mean is I use your faith to claim healing from headache. And that way, the time something more serious comes, the faith will be ready. Now, that is not wrong, but I think that's not the meaning of using your faith in small things. That is not how to build your faith, actually. Your faith building it is you use it in every aspect of life. That is a problem with the mindset that faith is just for getting and getting. The primary thing about faith is that it is used to please God. The primary thing about faith is that it is used to do the will of God. The primary thing about faith is that it is used to live a life that is pleasing to God. That is the primary thing about faith. The primary thing is not, I used to get food. I used to get healing. I used to prolong my life. I used to get divine protection. That is not the primary thing. I'm not saying faith does not do all of these things. Faith does those things also. But what is the most important thing it's supposed to do? It is supposed to help us walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, and to bear fruit in every good work like we declare every day. That is a primary thing about faith. When people think faith is just about getting, that is when they think you need to exercise it in the time of need, so that when you have bigger needs, you will now be able to use it. So we'll take time out to, I mean, we did those things those days. That when you're in school, you need money, you won't write to your parents on time. Phones were not like this. Then you needed to notify and send somebody. But we don't do it because we wanted to be broke so we can live by faith. As if when you are not broke, you are living by unbelief. I hope you're getting my point. But we now understand that it is not so. If God has given you parents to give you, I mean, you're a young student, you're in school. Your parents are the ones that supply your needs. That's God's choice of method for that season of life. It is not unbelief to notify them. It's not faith for you to try and ensure that you, you live and you don't need your parents. It's not faith. That is presumption. That is not recognizing your times. That's not recognizing your season. Do you follow my point? If at that time what God has chosen in your life is that your parents will supply everything that you need, accept it like that, it's not a problem. But we thought that you needed to exercise your faith. You needed to flex your faith muscles. But that is not all there is to faith. For example, the money that your parents give you, to restrain yourself to use it according to what it is for at that moment is a matter of faith. A young man came to me, he had a problem with his parents. And they know, I now understand, what I mean by a word of knowledge, he didn't tell me that. But after counseling with him, some, this was many years ago, those early days of Kingdom World Ministries. After counseling with him for some time, I asked him a simple question. Did you use your school fees to do a crusade? He said yes. I said, you should go to prison if you were a civil servant. He was surprised. I said, how can you take the money your father gave you to pay the bursar of your university? You used to go and hire equipment because you want to do crusade in a village. That is zeal without knowledge. You think you are trying to please God. I said, you are lucky you are not a civil servant. By now, 
that was was a new rebuttal at that time, he should have grabbed you and put you in prison for misappropriation of funds. I asked him simply, do you work? He said no. I said, where did you get the money from? He said, my father gave it to me. They sent you on an errand. Your zeal, you diverted kingdom resources to something else that God did not allocate it for. I said, if you're a civil servant, by now you'll be on suspension. It is faith to know that this is how I, save, I, I use my money. Of course, the one God gives you, to say that your father gives you to use for yourself, it is by faith you will share it. Are you getting my point? It's by faith you will use wisdom to say, okay, I don't need to eat everything. I have a friend who is not as blessed, materially speaking, as I am. I can help him so that he doesn't go broke. He doesn't suffer so much. I use my money. I stretch it a bit. And it's simple. It's the kind of thing I want to eat. It's the kind of shirt I want to wear. It's the way I spend my money. God, gave, My daddy gave it to me to use for maybe a whole month or a whole semester in school. I can stretch it so I can help somebody. I can stretch it so I can help my fellowship. I can stretch it. You understand? But I don't misappropriate the funds. It must not happen that I'm driven away from school even though my father has given me money to pay the fees. Do you follow my point? We do all of these things by faith. The primary assignment of faith is to help us walk in a manner pleasing to God. To please Him in all respects. That is the primary assignment of faith. So if you want to exercise your faith, you exercise it like that all the time. It is not as if you look for the time of need to exercise it. In the process, needs come up every day. You use faith to meet those needs. There are times it needs to come up and you know, you recognize that your father doesn't have enough money or it will disturb the family because you know the family you are from. Are you getting my point? You know the family you are from. So you, you, you restrain yourself. That is what faith does. I remember once my father came to see me in school. That was just before I graduated and he told me something's going on at home. And so he came to give me money, you know, some things anyway. Just check on me and give me money. And <laughs> I remember that particular day. I told him I didn't need money. How can you come to give a student money? And he says he does not need. You wonder what possessed me? It's simple. I realized he did not know the problem he was in. I don't know what I get my point. He, he was in trouble. He didn't know. So just discussed it simply that, okay, this is happening at home. That he's going to go. My sister was ill. I'm going to take her to hospital the next day. And all that. By the time he described it, I was a final year medical student. I knew what he was into. And he didn't understand it yet. I said to myself, this man is going to need every cowboy he has. I knew the amount of money he had. So the one he came to give me, by faith, I rejected it. I hope you're getting my point. I told him simply, oh, I don't need money. I don't, I'm okay. And the one he gave me last time is still fine. Of course, I wasn't lying, but it will need some stretching. So I just told him not to worry. But the singular reason I did it was that I knew the trouble ahead. Thinking about it now, maybe that's why God answered me rapidly. Because that evening, I called one of my friends and went to pray. By the time we finished praying, by next morning, God has solved the problem. By next morning. I didn't know that time because you know, before the days of you know, every phone calls everywhere now. It was next time he came and I saw him. I said, oh, how did he go? He said, oh, we woke up next day and she was perfectly fine. And I still remember the way he expressed it. He said, ah, he said, woke up the next day. He was, he was totally okay. We don't know what happened. Did it? I said, okay, fine. That is, ah, I was, I didn't, you know. <laughs> he never, I don't know whether he ever heard the story till he passed on. Didn't tell anybody about it at least at home. I didn't. By faith, I rejected that money. So faith is not just how to get. Jesus said, I laid down my life by myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to pick it up again. 
That's our faith. So when we're exercising our faith, it's not just by deliberately putting ourselves in trouble. When trouble comes, we solve it. When there is peace, we handle peace also by faith. Simply, what does faith do? We, how we please God in all respects. The way we eat our food is by faith. I hope you're getting my point. It is by faith. David Posse emphasized something. I, I smiled when he did because I was already doing it. He said, how many people go to toilet by faith? Now, he didn't use my words, but I'm going to use it now. He said, how many people go to toilet by faith? What he was saying is that how many of you sit on the toilet bowl and you will remember to give God thanks? Maybe because of virtue of my profession, I, by the time I hear him say it, ah, I've been doing it for a very long time. Like I said, so I, I said jokingly, but of course, it may sound like a joke, but we, <laughs> it's really true. So there are times you finish doing your business in the toilet and you feel like worshiping. And I mean it. It sounds funny, but it's worthy of worship. Because I have seen all kinds of things. How many times? There was a time when I was a resident doctor in Lagos those days. Almost every, almost everybody with diagnosed cancer of the rectum on were 30 something year old females. And the only treatment the doctor has is to remove the whole thing. And that does not guarantee her life. The rest of life she'll have to carry a pouch under her clothes which are intestines secret stuff into. I have seen so many. So for that reason, I learned long ago when we do it the normal way to give thanks. I hope you're getting my point. So faith is how we live life on a daily and regular basis. It is not deliberately putting yourself into, into trouble. Then using faith to get out of it and you say you're exercising your faith. That is an exercise in foolishness. Oh, we did it those days in school. Oh. Students, we did it. We did such things. I'll give you an example of the one I did. You, you, what, you're about to, your money is about to finish. You don't tell your parents. You want to live by faith. I look back and I said, we live by the mercy of the brethren. It was not by faith. It was pure foolishness. Because even that money, if that money had come, you still could live by faith. It is not only when there's no money that you say you're not living by faith. When there is money, you must live by faith. In fact... The real exercise of faith is when you have money. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy. Let's quickly open to this. First Timothy chapter 6. So please bear it in mind, we use faith constantly. We read from that Mark chapter 11. Jesus said, have faith in God. How? Constantly. And that's what we're talking about. How to make sure our faith in God is a constant affair. How to make sure that our faith in God is a constant affair. 1 Timothy chapter 6. From verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Remember we said it before. Hope is a result of what? Faith. It is when you have faith that hope is produced. It is not as if you have hope and you use faith to substantiate it like we try to say. It is that when your eyes are on the Lord, it produces an expectation. So he said like this, ask them, make sure they put their expectation, fix their hope on God. And they must not fix it on uncertainty of riches. He said, God, fix it on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, 
to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. When they do this, he said in verse 19, they will be storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Now notice something here. There are two kinds of hope. Exactly what God said about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. In hope against hope he believed. These people here, and that's how it is with everybody. They have a choice to fix their expectation on the money they have. Once I asked my wife, or just know the way we gist, I said, think about it. Look, of course, then she knew, she knows everything we have and all of that. Alright? There's another man sitting beside me. He has, let's say, 10 billion naira. I can't remember what they said. He has houses in Enugu. He has houses in Abuja. He has houses in Lagos. He has businesses. I said, in 20 years, who do you think we have a house to live in? We're having a small exercise of faith, just discussing in the house. I said, you know what I think? I think I'm sure, and I didn't have a house. Are you getting my point? I had one or two plots of land that were very empty, both of which I had never seen. Do you follow my point at that time? And one of which I sold off now. I didn't, when I saw it, I didn't like it. I she knew everything, knew all the money we had. It wasn't much. The only property we had that looked you know, heavy was the motor cars we were driving. You understand? And it's in 20 years' time, you say you, you are sure you are sure you have a house more than a man that has 10 billion naira in cash today. He has businesses. He has houses in Enugu. He has houses in Lagos. He has houses in Abuja. And you say you are sure. I say, yes, I am. Why? Because the reason why I said that is not because of what I have. It's because of the God I have. And so what if he has a kind of God, then we're on the same level? I hope you are getting my point. The houses he has makes no difference. You know why? The Bible says all flesh is grass. All houses are grass. That's what they call the goodliness thereof. They are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. And that happens when the breath of God blows upon it. So that day I said, look, baby girl, you are as safe as you can ever be Be married to me, no matter how poor I look. Why? Because my hope is not in what I have. My hope is in God. And listen to me, not only do rich people have that problem, even poor people sometimes have the problem. They think they are disadvantaged because they don't have what the rich man has. Now, I hope you're following my point here. So Paul now wrote to these people. I'm talking about exercising your faith on a regular basis. Paul now said, he wrote to Timothy. He said, instruct those who are rich. So I wanted to use this one to bring out something. That you can have hope deliberately. You know we said it, we must be deliberate in these things. He said these people can have hope on riches, the hope expectation derived from riches. I will have a house in 20 years derived from what they have today. Remember the story. M.K. Abiela was asked, and this was confirmed to me by those who heard it directly. M.K. Abiela was arguably the richest Nigerian at that time. And so, anybody was a philanthropist, doing a lot of good works. A lot of good works. So he was being interviewed on radio, and the, the interviewer said, Me Agbano, Agbano is a Yoruba phrase, not enter your money. It's a spirit that wastes. That's the best way to describe it. That this spirit that wastes may not, may it not enter your money. Instead of the man to say amen. Listen, I learned it. I always say amen. If a little boy of 10 years says, sir, God bless you, I say amen. I don't say who's your father. It's, it's irrelevant. You pronounce a blessing, it must not go away. So some, such a man should have just said amen. But you know what he said? He said the prayer is unnecessary. He said the kind of money that he has right now, at that time, 
So the kind of money I have, let the wasteful spirit enter. Literally what he says is that, you know that thing, it eats. It's depicted like a spirit that eats. He said, let it enter. Let it start eating. He said, it will eat. It will get tired of eating and run away. It will eat. It will be frustrated with eating and disappear. When I heard that, then he was still in his glory. I said, God, who instructed this man wrongly? There are statements you don't make, especially openly. There are things you say in secret. God will overlook it. But when you make statements in the open, you are challenging God. Ah, I felt bad when I heard it. And of course, when God wanted to show his glory, his own glory, that's God. He didn't touch his money. He took him away from the money. The money now meant nothing. The money meant nothing. There's a way God handles people. When David prayed concerning Ahithophel, he said, God, turn the counsel of Ahithophel to foolishness. God said, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. I have given it to him. He will continue to utter wise counsel, but don't worry, I'll handle it. Nobody will listen to it. He uttered very wise counsel, but Absalom wouldn't listen. That's what God did. So that's why we cannot put our hope in the uncertainty of riches. Sometimes I see people with no, we have very, very good structure. Go for health, this one, health, this one. Hey, God. Any one man once is late now. Has so much faith in the health systems abroad. So much faith in it. Then he took ill suddenly and he died. He had a serious stroke. Now he had a funny kind of stroke. He had two strokes side by side. His checkup had been going up very regularly. He had two strokes, one on the left side that you treat, okay, let's just say we, t- we treat with drug A, and one on the right side we treat with drug B. Except that anytime you use drug A, the, the type he had on the right side must not be present. That is, when it, it's beneficial to the type he had on, on one side, that drug worsens the other one. So Paul was not writing, we said hope can come from two areas. Hope can be on the things that we have, Materially speaking, that may be the source of hope. It may be the source of expectation. In Abraham's case, I was referring to that, the first hope, the first expectation his material things around gave him, which was his body, was that he would go childless. But then there's a second hope, which God gave to Abraham by reason of the word that he heard. That is, what is around you, should not determine what your future will be like. And that was why I told my wife that they were discussing. What I have around now does not decide what my life will be like in 20 years. So Paul was saying to Timothy, teach the people that they should deliberately, we talked about that last time, we must be deliberate about these things. They should put their hope not on riches, because riches are uncertain, but that their hope should be on God. Because anything that you place in his hands, like we say, the thing is kept safe. Any hope derived on the person, established on the integrity of God, will never disappoint. In Abraham's case, when God gave him a word, the Bible now says, in hope against hope, he believed. So what we are saying here is this. Even though you have money, like these people here, you can still be walking by faith. And so he said, how do you know a man walking by faith? He said in verse 18, Instruct them to do good. He's busy doing good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. 
So a sign of faith for somebody who has abundance. Alright? Paul was saying, these are the signs of faith. That if the fellow has indeed put his hope, put her hope on God, rather than the money, the material things that he has, then you will find him doing good works. Not as a way of getting something out of God, but as a result of the faith that he or she has. Later on, we'll come back to it again. I don't know when. But the issue of money keeps coming back again and again. How you relate with money, no one will be saying it, is also a sign of how your faith is. And it's one area, again, that you exercise your faith. Very important. So you don't, you don't have to be broke and be in need to exercise your faith. The fact that you have money alone is enough exercise of your faith. How do you spend it is a sign of your faith. So these are the areas we exercise our faith. And we'll be explaining. So exercising our faith means it's a daily thing. It's something we do on a regular basis. Let me say it again. I said more than twice today already. The primary duty of faith is not to get something for us. The primary duty is for us to walk in a manner pleasing to him. We want to please him in all respects. Without faith, the Bible says it is what? Impossible to please God. So you see, the primary thing is to please God. That is what faith is about. So how do we build our faith? We said by having faith in God constantly. We identified four areas. Remember that? One, again, I might not just give it in any particular order. One, our expectation must be based on God's word. We deliberately build. Now, I'm using the word again, deliberate. We do these things deliberately. We settle down and say, what is my expectation concerning my health? I will take my Bible. I will not take my, uh, my medical history. I will not take my genetic makeup. I will not take uh, the example of the diet that I have. I won't take my derivation from the things that are around me. I will deliberately settle down with my Bible. I will set, settle down in prayer. I pray, study the word, bring out scriptures, and they will form my expectation. They tell you that the life expectancy in your country, you know, that's what people talk about, is at 57 years of age, just by the way. You know, I like to educate people. Do you know how they arrive at those things? People who don't know, you see, uh, in Nigeria, life expectancy is 57 years. You see, it means that you died at age of 57. That's not what it means. It means all the people that died last year, they total their age and divide it by the number of people that died. The average age at which people died last year is what they call life expectancy. So the people that died at the age of two months, they added it. Those who died at the age of three weeks is added. Those who died at the age of ten added. They are not saying every man that's 56 should die as 57. What they just mean is that last year we totaled the ages of those who died, divided it by the number of people that died, and the average came to 57 years. So not that when you are 55, you now be getting aged. I have only two more years to live. Why? Because I'm a Nigerian. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Eh? I told you last week, I, I went to my, my in-law's village to go and participate in the burial of my wife's grandmother. And she was 99. And died only for one reason. They stopped her from going to the farm. If they have let the woman alone, she will have lived to be a hundred. But because the children, that is my father-in-law and, her, and his siblings, felt that her, her, that this is too dangerous, they kept her at home. Then they now saw the real danger. When she was going about her business, she was fit. So please, 
So they add even people like that, they'll add it, 99. They'll add it to the person that died at 2. Now find average, say, life expectancy is 101 divided by 2, which is uh, 50.5. And then when you are 49, you think you are going to die in the next one year. You ain't going to die in the next one year. They, in fact, you have to live long so that we can increase the average. I hope you're getting my point. Your life today is setting the life expectancy for next year. I hope you're getting my point. Uh-huh. So please understand how that is. So anyway, we don't derive the expectation for our lives from those things. What's my life going to be like? Like I read the scriptures. He said, with long life, I will satisfy him. Anyone that loves the Lord has a guarantee that he will be satisfied with long life. That is one. What is long life? Anyway, let's not discuss that in details. But God says, for able to live to be age of 100 is not a big deal. As far as God is concerned, if you die before the, before the age of 100, a child died. Because the youth is supposed to die at the age of 100. If you die in the prime of life, God says you should die at the age of 100. I said to you last time, that's why I don't believe in retirement. I have never, people say that you're saying for retirement. I said, go and ask those who are planning to retire. I'm not planning to retire. So you work in federal government for, who said that? No, that's not what I mean. When they retire from one place, you retire yourself somewhere else. Many people will say there is time for retiring. Now be going home, sitting down, join village politics, looking for trouble to cause. <laughs> you were never a politician because you have, they've not retired from federal civil service. Or you're working with a big company before they say you're at the age of 65. At the age of 65, Abraham had not even been called. You have not even been called yet. And you're there saying you're retiring. Now, why do I say this? Not because of personal experience. Listen, don't think I talk like because I've never fallen sick. I've fallen sick many times. Before, I've been hospitalized twice in my life. Two times. One of them was the year I got married. I just, the year, a few months before I got married. I begged my colleague that day. She sent somebody to, her brother to my husband and give me. So I called her, please. I need something. So she sent her brother to come and give me pap. You know pap? I wasn't eating. I said, How, where do I get pap from? So I called my colleague. So she sent her brother to come and give me pap. That one got there. He said, I was just keeping his mouth quiet. He went back home and told his big sister, please, the man you sent me to, I met him on the floor. <laughs> so that one said, what? She drove down to my house, gathered all my colleagues, come and rest. They carried me up like this. I went and dropped me in casualty. <laughs> I mean, we're working in the hospital for goodness sake. I, I, I tried to explain to her. I said, look, madam, it's not like that. I know what is going on. Just leave me. I will be fine. You know, how can a man who's half conscious and living alone, <laughs> you know, if I had people living with me, it's different. She said, Lila, I beg that day, please now. She said, I lie. She went and gathered my neighbors and they dragged me, put me in a car, dragged me to casualty and dumped me on the seat, on the couch. And the doctors found it very nice to put infusion on my body. Testing me up, I was looking at her like that. I said, hey, me. And I, I walked <laughs> And I walk in this same place. So. <laughs> they tell me before that I, was, that I was hospitalized. It was many years ago. I remember that my mother's mouth was open. She was looking like she didn't know what was going on. I went to see the doctor. I wasn't feeling well. Doctor checked, 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 checked. And said, take him upstairs. Put him on the bed. Ah. What have you checked now that? Is it fever you have not seen before? <laughs> that lasted one week. <laughs> oh, one week I stayed in the hospital. When I recovered, I didn't fully recover. My mother said, maybe I should go back to school. But if I get back to school, the atmosphere in my room, she knew that I live with people of faith. 
that the atmosphere in my room will get me well 100%. So I'm not, so you are not seeing a man who has never fallen sick. There was a guy I used to fall sick. I think everyone, I won't tell you the month so that you won't be watching out for the <laughs> next time the month comes around. Every particular month like that I was fall sick. And I didn't know until one of our sisters just pointed out I was ill. He said, look, Banky, I've noticed that every time, this, every, you no, know, this part season of the year, people just fall, and I'm seriously sick. I was in school. I, I handled myself in school. You know, that, you know the truth? That was the last time it happened. The moment I found out that was happening, I said, I lie. In Jesus' name, I reject it. So I'm, I'm, I'm done to say all of this is so that you know that I don't think that this man, his face, and all, and my own face, and all, all this one, this story I've been telling you, there's not one of them that happened when I was not working in faith. All of them was after one learned the word of faith, declaring the word every day. But don't change my mind. I'm, not, look, listen, I won't die today, all right? But even if I die, please, everything I said to you, believe it all. When you get to heaven, God will let you know why I died. But don't let my death be the reason for you to not die the things I have said. Everything I have said to you is true is the word of God. Forget my own personal experience. I strive to have my experiences agree with God's word. You don't judge the word of God with banking's experiences. You don't do that. Paul said, as poor yet making many rich. Don't say the man that's preaching prosperity, why is he wearing rag? You don't know spiritual things when you say that. You've heard it before. If you're really with your prosperity, why are you not driving a limousine? You don't know, you don't know spiritual things. You, that's how you know that many men who join cults to become physically wealthy, if you see the Babalawe in charge of it, you wouldn't believe it. The Babalawe is in a shrine somewhere. One village somewhere. And they live in a hut. He won't move to Victoria Island just because all of you want to join his cult. You know why? What he knows you don't know. He knows what he's giving you is vanity. There is no man, there is nobody that dabbles into spiritual things that does not understand the reality of these things. Hey, look, see what am I giving them? They are giving themselves over money. <laughs> there, was one, there was one who watched that time, Idesh, that's bondage. Literally, I mean bondage of Satan. The Baba said he should pay more money. So he brought money that they had helped him produce through their occultic practices. So the Baba looked at him and said, who do you want to give that money to? <laughs> They said maybe like pay something like maybe 200 naira. So he went and brought like 2,000 from the money that they produced through their... So one of them started laughing. He said, look at this foolish man. You want to give me hot money? You're not serious. Come and come find me real money. Go and find money that you labored for, not the one that we helped you to bring in. And sometimes those men, those men, they are not willing to make the sacrifice they are demanding of you. Because they know it's not worth it. So please, if you understand spiritual things, you won't say that if his prosperity is really working, why is he not living in abundance? It doesn't mean, it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean it like that. There are, I told you the story, I believe it to be true. Um, William, William Maron Braham, the accident that killed him first killed his wife. And when his son, because his son was in a car in front of his own, saw the accident in the mirror, so the son no turned and came back. Saw his father wounded, the mother unconscious, or stepmother. He asked the boy, how is mama? He said, I think she's dead. He said, put my hands on her, she will live. He put a blooded, wounded hand on the woman, and she lived, and the man died. Catherine Kuhlman, let me tell you the power in Catherine Kuhlman that she carried. She got out for a meeting. The, the, the people, they organized a program. She was supposed to preach. Hmm? Catherine Kuhlman, I don't know why I went to all of this, but I remember the point at which I went, because I don't want to get lost preaching. 
Okay, back to what I'm saying. Kajukuma was supposed to preach. People gathered to be healed. Because the issue was coming. Do you know what she did not attend? Do you know why? She fell ill and they took her to hospital. But that's not the power. They now went to Kenneth Hagin and said, listen, he was speaking for the meeting. Please, Miss Schoolman can't come. You are a preacher. You have to take the meeting. Ah. He said, me, I'm a teacher. This woman is a miracle worker. How do I fill in for a miracle worker? So he got up and said, all right, no problem. Let's open our Bibles. Before that, he said, let me just explain to you people, you know, Miss Kuma cannot attend. I'm just a teacher of the word, you know. He also ministers in healing, but not the way Kajukuma used to do. He said, so please, um, he was about to start explaining why miracles will not happen. As he began to talk, first person in which I got up, another person in which I got up, the man kept quiet. That is the anointing. Listen, the anointing in the air was not even his own. Miss Kuman had charged the air with the fact that her name was called. The kind of miracles that followed Catherine Kuman was happening even though she was in hospital. And then she died. Oh, she died. So it doesn't take anything from the anointing. Are you, I hope you're getting my point. That's why Jesus said, listen, you see the Pharisees, they sit in the seat of Moses. He said, do as they say, not as they do. Now, I know I went to do that. So I'm going to say something here. We derive the expectation for our lives from what is in the word of God. That is one. Not from the experience of the man preaching it. It's from what is recorded, what is written. We also said, I'm going over those four things. I'll keep on going over them again and again till it's part of our fibers. We also said the principles by which we walk in life must be derived from the word. How do I relate with my husband as a woman? How do I relate with my friends as a person? How do I relate with my wife as a man? How do I relate with my children? How do I do my business? How do I do everything I have to do in life? My career, my business, everything. How do I do them? It's more, you must have a reference. It's not just how they do it in our family. I mean, somebody say you don't understand. Like somebody say you don't understand. This is business. No. What did God say under those circumstances? I made a promise to somebody that I will supply him this good at 5,000 naira. I found out that I will, I will land it and he has already paid me 2,000 naira for each. And he needs 10. Only for me to discover that things have changed. Therefore, I'm going to land each one at 5,150. That is, I'm already losing money before, not, I'm not even making profit. And they are downpaid for 10. What do I do? The Bible says clearly, it's in scriptures. It says, you've sworn to your heart, you can't change. Except you don't want to ascend to God's holy mountain. But I'm losing money. That's about you swear to your heart. You knew you were losing money. When they use the word hurt. So you are going to lose 150 on each one and not make a dime. It's the will of God concerning you, your sanctification. Is the word of God I'm talking about, not how, what makes sense to me. I hope you're getting my point. Pastor Bank, how do I do that? I don't know. At least believe it first. Many times people want to make decisions based on how it affects them. No. First of all, set the standard. Then let's walk towards it. How am I supposed to handle that? We're not discussing that now. There are practical things that we will have to you know, find out how we will handle later. But at least let's set the standard. 
then we start working towards the standard. But the decision is made because I have a reference in God's word. Listen, in life, after all, who wants to succeed by his own strength? Is it not the grace of God we want? Once I was asked a question as a final year medical student. Have you done this procedure before? I said, no, sir. And the examiner got angry. You must have been a He talked, talk. What the? He said everything. One man at the end asked me, why didn't you say yes? Because there was no way of verifying. If I'd already told me, the, told the patient, oh, madam, it's you again. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, let me assure you, I'm not going to examine you this time. So I knew that there was no chance he would tell me to examine the patient. So he just turned to me and said, after I did everything I had to do, I have to tell him. And I said, okay, have you tried this procedure before? I said, no, sir. He said, why not? I tried to explain the man got angry, got angry. So the other guy pitched me and said, why didn't you just say yes? After I was not going to verify. And I still remember very well the answer I gave to myself, not him, I didn't answer the man. Because he was just angry. Like, what kind of stupid boy is this one? Just say yes, we forget this whole thing. And I remember I told the Lord, I said, Lord, please, oh, you are the one I'm trusting for this exam, so I can't tell you, I can't say yes, because you, you will get angry. My no was not said to that man. You understand? It was said to God. I said, God, after all, it's you that's guiding me through this exam. Ah, don't let me use my arm or flesh to create problems for myself. Oh. I've done it before in life. In fact, afterwards when I did it, I tried to be smart. God said, eh, okay, I'm waiting for you. But then the Lord was done. Eh? I learned my lesson. If you want the Lord to help you, you walk in a manner pleasing to him. Like I said to people, they say, this is how I want to do in our village. I said, when you have my problems, go and ask your Igwe. Or go and ask your Batala. Or Amadio had they are worshipping there. By the time you are quoting the principles of Igwe and Amadio for, for to run your home, just know they are the ones that will solve your problems. But if it is God you expect to solve your problems, then quote his own principles. This is what he said we should do. So that's the second thing we said. Third one. The third one we said is what? That how do you, that's what we discussed last time. How do you understand your life? The principles by which, that is, you decode the things happening to you. We discussed that extensively last time. I'll just say something about it briefly again today. And then last of all, we said the words that we speak. Remember, in all of these things, we are deliberate. I'm not saying it will come naturally. David said, come you children, listen to me. And I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, what I understood from that when I read it once, many years ago, was that what David was saying is that what comes to you naturally is not the fear of God. What we are brought up with may not be the fear of God. The fear of God is something you learn. You go out of your way to learn it. You are deliberate in learning the fear of God. So it may not be what you want to do naturally. Like I say about marriage, God never said subdue your wives. But the natural thing, man, we men, you know, if you have been married for some time, you know your wife has to be subdued. If you have been married for up to two years as a man in this house, say amen. No, just say amen. Ah, I don't have married for up to two years. Two years, two years or more. Okay, I meant two years or more. Jukes, I didn't hear your amen. You said it. How come I did not hear? You want me to come there to come and hear it? So let's go right again. If you have been married for two years and more in this house, say amen. Amen. I thought I was alone. Okay, those of us have been married for 20 years. 
that my 20 years, I'm just waiting for you to hit. You know, it's hitting this year. I used to oppress everybody. <laughs> I want to use to oppress everybody. <laughs> All right, the Lord is good. So if you marry for long enough, you understand that your wife has to be subdued. Are you getting my point? Yes. They like to be subdued. I mean, they have to be. They have to be. That's how it feels. When you say, don't go, she wants to go, you have to pull her back and put her into the chair and chain her there. <laughs> Hallelujah. She does not do what you say. You lock all the accounts. You send a code to GT Bank. They block her accounts. Hallelujah. That's what they call subdue your wife. But you know what? It's not in the Bible. What he said is what? Love your wife. But the Bible actually said, love your wife when she's behaving properly. Ah, shut up. Have you married before? <laughs> Look at him answering. Where's your boy's answering? He <laughs> does not know what we are going through. Just a cool scripture. Why you never know what you are going through? We that wear the shoe, we know where it's pinching. The Lord is good. <laughs> so let's now those of us who have married, let's use the, let's use our flesh to write our Bible, okay? Fleshly writing. Love your wife when she's doing properly. Love your wife when everything is good and normal. He didn't say that. What he said is actually the single man is right. He read the Bible. <laughs> His experiences have not colored it. So it's clear. So we should listen to single people when they are reading the Bible or marriage. Because these married men, when they have married for some time, they say the Greek word actually means... <laughs> ah, I have seen them justify divorce. You are laughing. I have seen these men justify divorcing your wives. When Paul was saying that... Uh, <laughs> You are the way people have been beaten and they have been harassed in life. You start seeing Greek and Hebrew, Septuagint translation. What is clear in scriptures cannot be read again. <laughs> so he said, Love your wife as Christ loved the church. He didn't qualify it for that. That's not, that may not be how you feel, but that is what is instructed. I hope you're getting my point. That's what is instructed. Like I say, just put it there first. We'll find a way around it. Let me give an example. That is how to get there. Okay? We'll find a way to obey it. That's what I mean. Not really around, but to obey it. Like, people want to argue in favor of divorce a lot of times. When you hear the story they are telling, I was watching a man on TV, a bishop, not from Nigeria, from outside Nigeria. He said, now what about divorce? He said, listen, there was a man, his wife, no, there was a woman, the husband used to put a knife on the table when they want to eat, so that if he talks, she'll use the knife to possibly kill her. What do you expect her to do? I said, oh God, you see, you are using common sense to decode what Jesus is saying. Just quote the words of the Lord Jesus. Jesus will come and remove the knife. The word of God is alive and active. Sharper than the knife the guy puts on the table. Sometimes, when we, listen, let me tell you about the word of God. If you make up your mind to, I'm not saying it's easy. You, know, you understand my point here? I'm not saying that's what your flesh will want to do. Just set it there as a standard. Just lift it up. Just be looking at it. Don't worry. The word knows how to tackle itself. He knows how to bring itself to reality. Like I say, of course, we're not talking about that in details now. God didn't say, obey me. He said, believe me. I'm serious. God didn't 
didn't say obey. He said believe. You get to the Hebrew. He hardly used the word obey. What he says is pay attention to what I say. If you shall diligently hearken. Hearken means to listen. To focus on. Obedience is a sign that you believe it. So if you disobey, you have doubted. When you think they can't obey, they start making excuses for disobedience. No. Just believe the word. No, confess your sin. God is what you said we should do, but I'm finding it hard to do it. But never change what he said. Like I said all the time, don't touch that scripture. Don't touch it. Leave it there. Don't alter it. Because you must not, and that's what happened in the world today. Because the men who said they want to marry men. You know, I was reading the news yesterday or this morning. And Elton John is angry. Why is he angry? They did a biography of his life. And to show it in Russia, Russians cut away five minutes. Because the census board of Russia said, you can't show this in Russia. It is homosexuality propaganda. And they have a law against it. So credit at the end, you know, thank you to my husband. You know that kind of thing. Can you believe a man saying thank you to my husband? So Russians removed that one. Say you can't show this in Russia. That's why like two, okay, five seconds at most. There were explicit, you know, scenes inside there that had to do with two men. Russians said, no, you don't show that here. And the man, the man is angry. He's on the net now making a lot of noise. Why? That's how he feels. They are not ready to recognize love between two people. Listen, whether it's between two people, after all, in Africa, we used to have love between, the, between six people, one man and five wives. Are you getting my point? So, <laughs> it's not recognizing love that's our problem. Our issue is that what did God say? And we are not ashamed of it. Now, what I'm bringing out is that, listen, I don't know about him, he, he could be lying, there are a lot of falsehood out there, a lot of people are talking, they are lying, okay? Alright, but let's even assume the young person who's confused. Says, this is how I feel. We tell him, this is not, it's not how you feel, it's not what we are discussing. You did not make yourself. Alright? I cannot bring out my phone. Now my phone says, look, I feel like walking through fire. I say, oh boy, do you know how much I paid? You are not fire resistant. Do you follow my point? There are fire resistant things in my house, including my spoon, my fork, my knife, so my wife can shove them into boiling oil. But if she shows my phone into boiling oil, I have to go and read, love your wife as Christ loved the church, otherwise there will be trouble. Because the manufacturer states specifically how I'm supposed to use the device. And you did not make yourself, I did not make myself. The manufacturer said specifically, male and female created he them. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. They have not tried to tell us the wife can also be a man. No. It is male and what? Female. How I feel is irrelevant. What I'm going to say. The problem with the world now, they want to now change the standard. Rewrite the standard. So that we now don't understand where we are going, where we are coming from. I don't know how many of you have experienced this. You are driving. You get to a, a like traffic light or a stop. A lot of cars left and right. Then suddenly your car starts rolling backwards. Then you press the brake harder. But the brake is already down. You press it harder, harder, harder. No, your car is not rolling. Everybody else was moving forward. You were not paying attention. You understand my point? <laughs> but you thought your car was rolling backwards. Reflexly, without realizing it, we all do it. And I first heard this man analyze that. Um, 
Ravi Zacharias. He said, at such time, what do you do? Reflexly, you look for something that does not move. Your eye nearly goes to a tree, a lamppost, something like that. That's what lets you know whether your car is moving or your car is not moving. If the other cars around you are moving, they can give you a false impression of the fact that you are rolling backwards. So reflexing is innate inside us. We immediately look around for something that does not move. And that's what is called the standard of God. Once you shift the standard, life is confused. That's what I mean when I, when I say we deliberately build our lives. Deliberately. On the standard of the word of God. What has it said about how I do my business? It's not how I feel. It's how I do my business. What did he say about it? I remember last of all. How we speak. Is deliberate. How you greet. Oh boy, how now? It's not a greeting. A better greeting. You know how Hebrews greet? Shalom. That's how Muslims also greet. Salam alaikum. Literally means peace to you. Shalom means peace. It's the same word for prosperity. So when I greet you, I don't just say, well, how now? That's a question. A greeting is, God bless you. Form real habits. Deliberately. How do you greet your wife in the morning? How do you greet your husband? Sometimes just, you don't wake, see your nose. You think you are joking. And it's funny, but really, it's not edifying. You know, a lot of things we do that are funny, they really are not edifying. You wake up in the morning, first thing you tell your husband, say, see, it's not for night. <laughs> you won't know that, you know, you, know, you buy, you will buy ice cream in the afternoon, it will melt in the boot of the car, you will forget it there. And you won't think about it though. You forgot the ice cream in the boots. Oh, so sorry. One angel said, when you woke up this morning, you sowed a bad seed. See as you did snow for night. Was this snoring? Of course. The neighbors heard it, I know. <laughs> but that's not a good greeting. You don't start your day with that. Good morning is a good greeting. That is, have a good day is a good greeting. You can discuss the snoring issue later. Your wife is going out. You send her out with a blessing. Your children are going out. Send them out with a blessing. Your husband is going to pray for him too. My husband, God will go with you. Not, come back on time, oh, Mr. Late Comer. And some, you know, some young ladies actually admire that. I like Pastor Banky and his wife. They are so free with each other. They forget freedom. That's not freedom. That's bad freedom. You know, you know, maybe you came from a traditional African home where people, they travel when grandfather comes, you know, that kind of thing. You know, I say a man is rather free. You're not going to learn bad things. You know, I say a man going and there's not a wife, and I say, come back on time, little, late. You know, I say, oh, they are so free with themselves. That's a rubbish freedom. Like I say all the time, why don't you joke about things that are good? Why must your jokes be the bad one? Why do you joke with, ah, my husband make a million dollars today. Oh. That is funny. Is it not funny? It's very funny, but if it were to come to pass, your life would not be the same again. (Laughter) 
really, as Christians, there are cultures we have to form. We have to start making jokes that if they were to be taken literally, it will bless us. I hope you're getting my point. But my emphasis is we do this is what? Deliberately. Deliberately. If you hear yourself cracking jokes that are not good, you tell yourself that why am I making bad things my jokes? Why can't I create a culture of laughing that is having my jokes made up of things that are edifying? The Bible says, let your words be seasoned with salt unless you are joking. Is that what the Bible says? It's at all times. Emphasis, we are what? Deliberate. We are deliberate. I like the way we are going on. Like I said, we are still reviewing where we are. We are never started this message. I'm not joking about that. And I'm, I'm going to finish my message today. If you are going somewhere, you go there later, to, uh, that in the day. Have you read any scripture? Which one do you read? We didn't read it. But you know what is there now? By faith, we understand. So that's what we read last time. By faith, we what? We understand. Let me, next I'm going to say more about it. In the way of adding to what we said last time about it, which is one of our four points, make sure in life you read your life from scriptures. The Bible says that the prophets prophesied concerning the sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow. And that's how our lives are. Remember what we said the other time. Okay, so our school of prayer. If you read from Isaiah chapter 53, you will see the story. Now, before you, if you didn't read Isaiah 53, if you saw a young man, healthy young man, who had worked miracles, who had blessed a lot of people, and then they take him, his, one of his core inner caucus people betray him, you understand? And you see that man taking before a, you know, a panel of judges, elders, and they wrongly judged him. That is, unfairly judged him. And then they began to beat him. They handed him over to the Romans for torture. And then they took him to the cross and they crucified him. You will go around being angry. What kind of life is this? Even if you're one of his disciples. Ah, you thought he would stay with you forever. How will he go away? I'm talking about Jesus Christ. And then he stands, all right, one day you are walking on the road. Let's just read this quickly. Luke chapter 24. And then one day you sit there on the road. You are walking, you and your friend. Verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. Like I told you now. The fact that Jesus was betrayed. He was taken, he was punished, he was crucified. And that was the end of it. And of course he was buried because one man decided to take um, permission to bury him, give him a decent burial. While they were discussing, that's verse 15 now, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. This convinced me that the resurrected Jesus was a bit different from the one that you know, went to the cross. Difficult to recognize. And he used to come in different forms. And he has come to many people here, and you did not know who came to you. Sometimes he showed up, and it was a black man, and it was actually Jesus Christ. Now, let's go verse 16. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And he stood still looking sad. 
Now that's because of what they had seen. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And he said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our elders delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now you are seeing that. Indeed, beside all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. And he said the things that the women said. Now let's go down to verse 25 to save time. And he said to them, O foolish men. Now notice this. O foolish men. Read the next few lines for me. To the end of verse 25. Read it out loud. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Are you seeing that? No, I said verse 25. That's it. O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. I hope you are seeing what I'm saying here. What was he saying to them? By faith we understand. Without faith we have no understanding. That is when they did not believe, they did not understand what was going on. I hope you are getting my point here. The problem was lack of faith in that which was written. Not what they had experienced. Please get the point. The faith was in what was written. It's the word of the prophet. A prophecy made sure. It is the faith in what is recorded. You don't judge your life by what is going on. You judge your life by what is written. The things around must explain what is written. It is not as if what I'm interested in is, is, is this. Those things must conform. You go into what is written and try and see what's going on around. You don't use your experiences to determine what your life is supposed to be. I was preaching in Port Harcourt. A woman came to me said that, uh, you said a witch can never kill a Christian. I said, I said it and I meant it and I'm still meaning it and I still believe it. He said, a witch killed my husband. I said, your husband was not a believer. I didn't even ask, look, a, a mourning widow. I didn't even say, oh, well, you know, you never can tell. Sometimes these Christians can be witch, witch, be witch. I said, no. I say, we did not kill your husband. I don't care what you want to tell me. I've seen people tell me before. I was talking with a woman, and she was crying. And she was narrating the experience of her life. How her father, a vibrant, dedicated believer, became sick and died because the fight of the witches were against him. I still did not change my mind. You know why? The prophecies of scripture is clear. There is no enchantment against Jacob. And there is no divination against Israel. I will never change my mind even if I see which is killing a man and eating him. I won't change my mind. Because the scriptures are there and they must be fulfilled. They can never be broken. That's what Jesus said. I told you, young lady, I don't know what went wrong in your situation. I know, let me tell you the truth. Bishop Eko used something, something those days, which I like very much. Very funny thing. He would say, listen, if I were to die today, don't let any witch deceive you that they killed me. He said, they can't. He said, you know, you know it happens. Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, a bomb will go off, they will claim responsibility. Sometimes, no reason. They just claim responsibility. Sometimes just to be relevant. Sometimes I hear people sometimes come and tell me that the witch has confessed. I say, are you not even ashamed? 
My wife had a friend like that. Called her and said, ah, have you heard? I said, what happened? That finally the problems their family has been having all these years, their neighbors or their family friends have confessed that they are the witches behind the whole thing. I told my wife, tell her that she should be ashamed of herself. Her father is supposed to be a pastor. She's a Christian. I said, the whole family should be ashamed. Even if it were true, you shouldn't open your mouth and utter it. No, their things should be ashamed of. The Bible says that's the problem these days. That their glory is their shame. People start bragging on things that they should be ashamed of. The man is going on the road and they came to give testimony. They call it testimony. I was, I was going on the road and the one man now touched him like this. His, his JT now disappeared. <laughs> and you came to church to testify. They now caught the man that the man should return it. <laughs> if I was a woman, if you bring that one, they return near me again. <laughs> Do I know the one they returned? <laughs> because the man snatching, he has a bag full of them. <laughs> Nonsense. That I told my wife. I said, you see the kind of thing we're talking about? Christians will just be there, uttering rubbish. And his testimony, praise the Lord, my God is able. When we're young those days, you know what they would do? Shame, shame, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame on you. Shame. That is what Christians like that deserve. If it really happens, you do tell your husband. We can't say it outside though. Shame is complete. Just leave it like that. <laughs> you come to church. I have a testimony. I have a testimony. Rubbish. How can your testimony invalidate the word of God? Jesus has a power of life and death. All powers in heaven and on earth belong to him. He has the keys of hell and Hades. One which will now send me there. How bad. I don't care what you want to say. Bishop, when said that time, he said, don't let them deceive you. If I die today, they are not responsible. They can't be. Nazi people be telling that uh, this which is confessed that they are the one that, that ended that man of God's ministry. Go and ask that man, how were you dealing with three things? One, women. Two, money. Three, glory. Those are your problems, not the witches. Just ask the man, say, forget this witches who are bragging. Ask that man three things I want to ask you about. In fact, four. I just remember the first one. One, love towards other brethren, other preachers around you. The other day I was watching this man on TV. Um, sorry, not really TV. I was watching a video of his. I stumbled into it. Rick, not Rick Joyner. What name of that American prophet? No, it's Rick Joyner. Yes, Rick Joyner. Yes, Rick Joyner. He was describing why preachers should be careful. People were criticizing Sadhu Selvaraj for him. He was telling them, look, I've been to Sadhu's meeting. He's a nice man. I don't understand everything he says, but he's a Christian. He's not a false prophet. He has a good heart. Those ones I can say. And if I didn't know, if I can't say these things, I'll even keep quiet. He now began to tell stories. How one, one, one person, I won't tell you the person's name, but even though he told us, he said this person was a big minister. Because the person used to do no healing crusades and all of that, you know, you know, healing, healing things. So he had another preacher who's a teacher of the word. That please let me hire you 
come into our ministry. I hope you get my point. And then you will teach before I come to do my own thing. Very simple. So, after a while, that guy came back and said, sorry, I will not be able to take that appointment. This other preacher went on stage and started calling him a false teacher. Somebody you tried to employ just a few days ago. Now, he's a false teacher. According to Regina, within a few weeks, this big preacher was dead. So he warned us, he said, be careful. Be very careful. He told another story like that. How one prophet got up, one papa, you know, preacher, began to denounce another one. Everybody said, boy, relax, he didn't hear. Within about that one month, he too was dead. I think you don't do. You know, many years ago, I went home. My mother told me, there's one, you know, church fellowship they used to attend. I said, there's one particular man. I said, how is he? Ah. He said, I did not hear. I said, no. They said, he's dead. I said, what killed him? What happened? There was an accident. He was trying to light a fire or something. The thing exploded, engulfed him in flames. He got tetanus. He died. But my mother, even then, she understood. I said, that one. She doesn't think that's what happened, though. That what really happened? Then that fellowship or church, they had a crisis. There was one man that came. Hot, you know, fiery preacher. That there was one small disagreement. The other man made up his mind he's going to end that man's ministry in this place. So he fought that man with all the energy he had. And God said, well, that's the way you like it. A few weeks later, he was dead. So Kenneth Hagin warned us. Rick Jonah warned us. Be careful how you treat other preachers. He said, in fact, the Lord gave him a word to go and take one preacher. Judge yourself in walking in love towards other preachers. So a preacher dies, no wish, come and tell me any nonsense. Four areas you check. Are you walking in love to other people? Kenneth Hagin, the Lord told him, be careful about money. Be careful about money. I won't talk in detail about it. How are you handling money matters? Then he said, make sure you give all the glory for everything that's happening to me. Make sure you're always giving the glory to the Lord. And last of all, be careful about women if you're a male preacher. Be careful. Be careful. This is how people give their strength to women. The Bible says, a witch will not tell you that. Uh, unless it's the witch you are sleeping with. I don't agree with them. I probably should say. Yeah, yeah, they, they come. Witchcraft. That's how they get people. One fine girl will join ministry. Be helping you in all kinds of ways. And you too, your eye no go open. You can't recognize Jezebel when you see her. And I say, witches are after me. Let me not spoil your ears with horrible horror stories. In that area. But I'm thinking of one particular man of God now. My friend said he looked at the man and said, man of God. There are things the Bible says we should flee. That this is your age. I'll be the one telling you these things. Listen. Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in that, in all that the prophets have spoken. What has he spoken concerning you? That is what we believe in first. Not what we are experiencing. He said, not from the east, not from the west. Not from the south comes exaltation. He said, but God is judge. He breaks down one and lifts up another. He said, henceforth we know no man after the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Emphasis that we know no man 
after the flesh. He said, by faith we understand that the words were not framed by the word of God. So that what we see did not come out of things that are visible. That is, who will succeed, who will fail in life, you cannot tell by looking at the environment. And stop looking for physical reasons to explain somebody else's promotion. Or even failure. In this life, I have come to understand, really, the, the assignment I have in life is even more important than I thought before. Because life without instructions from the word of God is driving your car at night without headlights. And there are no street lights. If you have this life, you're walking in this life without God's word, you are walking blindly. You are walking blindly. You are walking blindly. I see blind people every day. There are people who are struggling, yet by, with their own hands, they are ensuring that they will fail. Yet every day they are getting up to struggle to succeed. Why don't they know? Nobody has instructed them. So I realized that, listen, one young man, last time I was in Benin, I, I think I gave you the testimony here. And I, to me, that was some, that's some of the joys about this work. I was walking down the aisle like this, of course, because a lot of people listen to my messages and all of that. So they greet, 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 greet. So I'm greeting people. So he got to his son, I held it, you know, shook my hand. I wanted to move. <laughs> I couldn't go. You know why? The guy held me. I wanted to go, he pulled me again. Ah. So I stood. He was shaking the hand vigorously. At the point in time, he jumped off from his seat because he was sitting as I was walking past. He came and held my waist. He said, God bless you, sir. Now, this is where I'm going. He said, for, were it not for you, I'll be walking like a fool. Young student, he dipped his hand in his pocket. Look for money there. What the biggest note he had was 500 naira. He said, please, I should take. And such monies, I don't dash people like that. Oh. I go and eat it myself. So I look for one brother who has been working with us in the ministry. I went and called and said, come. Let's go and spend a special 500 naira. Instantly, he understood. So we looked for what to buy with it. But because we're in, you know, in a, a venue where there were no shops and all of that. So I said, okay, you've been working with us, so I will let you, you go and eat the money. I said, but you know this money, you don't eat it anyhow. You eat it with, you know, with respect. You will buy something. No, no crumb will fall down. Only those who are worshipping the Lord will eat with you. They will come and say, we're about to eat a sacrifice. A priestly sacrifice. Why I remember the story, the man, the young boy said, ah, sir. Well, no, for you, I'll be walking like a fool. He said, I'll just be walking blindly. And I see that's how many people are doing these days. Many young men are walking like fools. They will make decisions you look and say, ha, ha, how can you be so foolish? Do you want to go far in life? Without God's word, no, listen, we're just walking like morons. Driving at night without headlamps on a dark street. You will run into something. The faster you drive, the more dangerous you are to yourself and to everybody else around. Without God's word, that's why I said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Without God's word, you don't know where you are going. He said, All slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What Christians need is to believe what has been written, spoken about them. Without that, you can't interpret life. Jesus was on the cross. They were lamenting. If they had understood what Isaiah said. Let's read further. Verse 28. No, sorry, verse 27. Okay, let's back to 26. 
He said, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I'm going to stop reading that one there. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So when he was taken as a lamb, when he was taken and did not complain, he showed them that as a lamb led no, to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. They said, no wonder. We knew he was a man of eloquence. Why did he not answer? If he opened his mouth, he spoiled the sacrifice. Uh-huh. Okay. Why did he suffer like this? That was a sacrificial lamb. Why did he hang on the cross? The blood had to drain. Don't you know how the high priest did it? For what purpose? It's for the remission of our sins. Remember, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. And he talked and talked. He said, uh-uh. No wonder. I was wondering. A man like that, why would he die? Suddenly, everything began to make sense. But we're not talking about Jesus alone. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Listen, there is something John said. Anyone who removes from these words of prophecy that I've given to you, that God was telling him. Was it God that was telling him anyway? John, John was spoke, speaking. He said God will remove his portion in the book. Now, this is the point I want to make. I want to, I want to understand something. Everybody has a portion in God's book. Everybody has a portion in the book of God. And as a matter of fact, if you study the scriptures, a time will come. You will see a portion about your life inside it. But whether you know the specific one or not, there's only one thing the Bible says. is all these things were recorded for our learning. What does that mean? Anytime you are going through stuff, please read your Bible and try and interpret what is happening in your life. Young woman wrote us the other day. I'm not even sure we'll reply the mail, but I'll confirm that. But when she described what she was going through, he said, you have been my companion. You understand? That every day, that's in a place where she's kind of like, kind of held captive, something like similar to that. He said, but it's the words that you speak that have been my companion. It's been my guide. It, at the point that she's even thanking God for the opportunity to learn. He said, now, even though I'm being treated unjustly, say like Joseph, I understand that right now God is judging what my life will be in the future. So instead of getting angry every day and whining and complaining about people who are treating her wrongly, she's giving thanks regularly that at least God is with me. I am not alone. I hope you're getting my point here. Listen, without the word of God, you don't even know what's going on in your life. The more you are detached from God's word, the more you are walking in confusion. No matter how clear things look like to you. Because without faith, we have what? No understanding. Listen, the prophecies of scripture, like I said, we are deliberate about these things. We are deliberate about it. If you do a business, you try something, you apply for a job, you apply for an admission, it fails. There are many ways to interpret it. But go and read your Bible. Say, where am I going in life? Am I average? I'm outstanding. Okay, I'm outstanding. Fine. Who describes my life here? Now, when I say outstanding, it doesn't mean I feel outstanding. 
I'm just saying my destiny is unique. That's what I mean. Who describes my life in the scriptures? All right. I see it. Who, 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 who. All right. Let's take Joseph. Very good. How many things did he succeed in? Really? If you check it, it's just work, day to day work. But if you talk about promotion, it's trouble every time. Go and do this work, wahala. I hope I get my point. Go and do this work, trouble. Work in the house of Potiphar, trouble. And the Bible now says, a righteous man falls how many times? So I have applied for work all this number of times. And seven is not literal one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It could be, but really it's not. But let me give an interpretation today. A righteous man fails seven times means he will fail all the times necessary for God to get the point across to him. I hope you are getting my point. Each failure is teaching you a lesson. And it will be a foolish thing for you to fail on the same point twice. You're a bad student. So when you learn one lesson, you try again. It doesn't mean you will succeed next time, but learn another lesson. When the clouds are full, they pour forth rain upon the earth. When you will have learned all your lessons, then the Lord will raise you up. I hope you're getting my point here. That's what he does. But now, I'm talking about how you, de- listen, you deliberately interpret the affairs of your life from the prophets. Believers, you know, I said it last time, we are deliberate about these things. Jesus made it clear to us here. These people, the Bible makes it clear to us, they didn't understand what was going on. They were there. Some, some of us think that, ah, if only I have lived in the days of Jesus, you'll have been confused too. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That we are looking back now and say, hi, how nice would it have been? Listen to me. There's nothing those men experience that's not available today. There's nothing. Okay, let me ask you a simple question. Of the apostles of the scriptures that you know, which one will you call the greatest? Paul? Who has another name? Okay, let's just take Paul. Paul, I wanted you to mention. Thank God you mentioned Paul. Are you aware he never saw Jesus Christ? Oh, you don't realize that? He never saw him. He never did. His stories he heard. The first time they sat down and told him the real stories was 14 years after he had been in ministry. When, listen, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he took all those things. Jesus told him personally in a vision afterwards. Visions that people are still having till today. I don't know whether you're getting my point. And sometimes he said, that vision you're looking for is not necessary. I've given the word to everybody. That's why you hear me quote Kenehagin a lot. He had like five, six visions of the Lord. Giving instructions to all of us. I don't even want Jesus to come and scare me. Are you getting my point? No, really, really. <laughs> The one you have talked in Hagen, I heard it. Don't worry. Unless I'm making a terrible mistake, there's no correction anywhere. Don't be paying me strange visits. <laughs> it's true now. <laughs> no, I told you I'm not a very spiritual person, you know. <laughs> My own revelation give me, but I'm not looking for strange visions. What do you want to see? You know what I want to see. Because I thought about it. So if you show up now, I say, Banky, I am Jesus who died for you. I say, tell me something new. Because this one, I know it already. And don't think that if I see him, I will now believe. People have seen him and are backslidden. 
What I want Jesus to do, do for me, let's lay hands on the sick, let them get well, lay hands on the dead, let them rise. Once you are doing that regularly. No, they are, they, look, they are, everybody has his own assignment. I'm not coveting anybody else's assignment. Lord, I'm not saying if you are coming, we'll run. I'm just trying to say that. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel, you know what I feel like? I feel like the Lord is laughing too. <laughs> I feel like he's laughing to say, thank <laughs> What I'm just trying to say is that we are, we are not depending. You know what the other people said? You know? I, think I should read that scripture. I think it's important. You know, one scripture just came to my mind now. I think it was the Peter that was speaking. Second Peter chapter 1. In verse 16, he said, For we did not follow clearly devised tales. Second Peter chapter 1. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this. We heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, why did I read this? Alright? You see Peter here, even though they had, now listen, they did not, they were not bragging, I was going to say something about Paul, alright? They were not bragging on the physical revelation of Jesus that they had, because Paul himself said it, he said, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. He said, even though we knew Christ after the flesh, henceforth we know him thus no longer. That is, knowing Jesus, that's why, I like one thing David Paulson said, he said, is he not striking? No, Derek Prince. Derek Prince said that one of the greatest miracles of the scripture is not just what was said, it was, it was what was, that is also what was not said. He said, have you noticed that the physical appearance of Jesus was not described anywhere? Matthew knew him, he didn't describe him. John knew him, he did not describe him. Mark recorded the words of Peter. Peter and John, they knew Jesus. The gospel of Mark that you have is actually the gospel of Peter. Are you getting my point? Because Peter was not the writing type. So Mark took down the account from the mouth of Peter. That's actually what happened. Yet you don't see his height, his weight, his muscles, whether it was fat or slim. Nothing was described. John that knew him very well. No description. You know why? They realized that knowing him after the flesh is zero. By the time they were writing the scripture, they said, knowing Jesus after the flesh. Even Paul. He said, even if you knew him after the flesh, henceforth we know him thus no longer. That's why people tell you that Jesus was a Jew. I said, you don't know the Jews you're talking about. Because only Jew after the flesh. What am I going to say? Peter that knew him, you know what, what he now told us? What we now focus on the word of what? Prophecy, which is made sure by our experiences, but which we have now delivered to you. John said it. The things which we heard, which we saw, which our hands handled, we have now delivered to you concerning the word of life. What am I going to say here? As believers, forget whether Jesus was alive. No! What you need is a word of prophecy. 
That's what I'm explaining. Your life must be interpreted through prophecy. That's why you don't have a choice, people of God. See that, how do you behave? My children and I will do something. Now, we're reading a number of scriptures, but last time they told me that they were not in Proverbs chapter 18 because sometimes a lot of times their mothers move on teaching, t- taking them recently. They, not, they have not read Proverbs chapter 18. I said, no, we are going through the Proverbs from the beginning to the end. Why? Because the first few words in the book of Proverbs tells us what the whole purpose is about. I like to read it. It's just very beautiful. Don't worry, because for time's sake, I'll just go there. He said, the Proverbs of Solomon, to know wisdom and instruction, to descend the saints of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the young, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel, to understand a proverb and a figure. The words of the wise and their riddles. And the first one, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the beginning of knowledge. Now, what I'm going to bring out here. So, we said, listen, how do we behave? This Bible will teach us. How do we interpret our lives? The prophets will tell us. And listen to me, it's something we believers deliberately do. If you are having delay in your life in any area, don't let anybody tell you a story. You know, I didn't marry on time because my mother, uh, there was a grandmother, and in their family, that is nonsense. What did I say? Around rubbish. Henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. You are describing the flesh in your life. I hope you are getting my point here. Am I suffering delay in any area in my life? Listen, don't give me any physical explanation. Don't give me any medical explanation. I dive into scripture. Until I have an understanding of what is going on. Because the Bible describes the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. After all, what happened to Hannah? Until she understood the revelation of the birth of Samuel. God did not allow her to conceive. I hope you are getting my point here. Listen, we deliberate. It's deliberate. We do this is deliberately. People tell me I have near success syndrome. Okay, you have it. God bless you. Now go and find out why. Not from your father's mouth or your mother's mouth. From the prophet's mouth. And I don't mean false prophets. I like to say this all the time. You want to know a false prophet? I'll tell you. They are not identified by the kind of suit that they wear. They are not identified by the kind of garment on them. Or the name of the church. False prophets have stopped wearing white garments. They now wear fine suits. The falsest of them in Enugu. He has billboards all over town. And he has very prophetic names. The one his father did not give him. No, his mother gave to him. Gave to him. Yeah, those are his names. You know who I'm talking about. They will now pick two, any man you see with two prophetic names. Be suspicious. Just ask him, so boy, there's no Chukud in your name. There's no Emeka. There's nothing, no normal name there. It's all these strange names like Hezekiah, you know, Rehoboth, thank you. You now see names like Emmanuel. You start seeing him like Habakkuk, God bless you. You understand what I'm trying to say? <laughs> I know there are Habakkuk's in life. You understand? I'm just wondering, how come your own name is Jeremiah Habakkuk? What are you? I'm just suspicious. I'm just suspicious. I'm just suspicious. Like I said, I'm just suspicious. But how do you really identify a false prophet? When they start praying. What are their visions like? Their visions will always take the responsibility from you and put them on your ancestors. They are false. 
Their visions will always take the responsibility from you and put them on your neighbors. They are false. They are visions. And listen to me, the fact that they are seeing visions does not impress me. It does not impress me. There are lying spirits. They are all over the place. They lie to people. God commanded one, told him, succeed in what you are doing. He went to the mouth of the prophets of Heab and lied to him that he should go to Ramos Gilead, that he would succeed there. And he went to Ramos Gilead and he perished there. False prophets, they never point to you as a cause of the problems. It's your mother. You are a witch today because your mother made you a witch. And leave now. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Okay, now that you identify that I'm a witch, okay, I don't want to do it again. And if your God is so powerful, deliver me right here. And I said, I should go and remove something my grandmother buried in the village. Where in the Bible did you see anybody dig up anything somebody buried? That's how you know false prophets. They never blame you. They blame somebody else. So let's just drop that. I like to drop it periodically. And of course, ha-ha, another way you know them. What is the remedy? Any remedy that does not refer to the fact that Christ has finished with the work is a lie. If the remedy includes me offering another sacrifice, reject it. It's a fat lie. It's a fat lie. We will not give a special offering to bring the power. Say, Pastor, if you are hungry, let us know. There's nothing wrong with being hungry. It's just, it's just, no, we'll be hungry. It's just that like God has not given me the privilege. I've been wishing that one day you'll give me the prayer. I'll just come and announce, brother, I need something. How many of you will give me? I know you will give me. So I need to have 20,000 before tomorrow. I need a special seed. One person to give me 200,000. Or 20, 10,000 each. I'll be waiting outside. When you give me the money, I will thank you very much and I will spend it. Nothing wrong with that. If you notice, I've not promised any special blessing. I'm very careful not to die before my time. Nothing wrong. If you are hungry, let us know. And it's not good for a man of God to be hungry. We are tempting him to sin. Because all the times we want to now break the power, and I say offering. I like the one they bear that mean he has exposed all of them. Oh, brother Ebe, God will bless you. I started praying for you in case you don't know. God will bless you. Because he said, I was saying things I did not believe. I was saying things that I knew were not true. He said I was the champion of the prosperity message. I could take offering from Satan himself. He said it. He said, if Satan showed up, I will collect money from him. He said, but I did all of that, I realized I was empty. False prophets, I need to explain, explain it again. They take responsibility from you and drop somewhere else. They now want your money to break the power. That is how to describe falsehood in prophecy. That's just an aside. But how do you interpret your life? It's prophecy of scripture. That's why you need to... De- Remember we said, which word have I been using? Deliberate. Deliberate. You will pick your Bible and say, I want to understand my life. Listen, if you... You see, the Bible is not... Have you read the Bible this morning? No. Without it, you don't even know, understand what's happening with you. Without it, you don't understand what is happening. Listen, if I fall sick, the first thing I do is to pray, God, why? I don't just fall sick anyhow. If I don't understand why, then I understand that I just need to resist. 
So I sleep and resist. I hope you are getting my point. You must be deliberate. If you are always losing money, like told somebody to ask me for counsel once, I say, listen, you don't solve physical, you don't solve spiritual problems through physical manipulations. I say it does not work. First go and pray and say, what is going on in my life? Remember, that is why Christians fast. That is why Christians fast. The fast of a believer is to properly and accurately describe his life or her life. What's going on in my life? These things, the Bible says, were recorded for what? Our learning. People of God, that is how we deliberately build faith. That's how we build our faith constantly. That's how we have faith in God constantly. Is deliberately interpreting your life from the pages of scripture. I pray that enough believers will walk with God like this. We understand that there are, when the Bible says, eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, neither has he entered the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for, for those who love him. Believe me, when the things start manifesting, this world will know that indeed there's a special breed of people present on it. They will know there's a special breed of people present on this earth. The problem is that we have not had enough Christians walking by faith totally with God. That is what the problem is. I think I've spoken enough for today. We'll continue developing this next time. Let's bow down here to give a lot of thanks. Let's give a lot of thanks. Let's say, Father, we thank you. Let's give him thanks. Let us give the Lord thanks. Let's say, Lord, we thank you for understanding. Lord, I ask you to give me understanding. I want to, I can describe my life from the prophecies of scripture. Alright, the Lord is good. Let's go home. Let's rise to our feet. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word that has come to us today. Lord, as your children depart from here, I pronounce your blessing upon them. Amen. And I say to you, the Lord bless you. Amen. The Lord keep you. Amen. You will walk in safety in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please listen to this instruction before I continue praying. Don't forward any nonsense. Blessed on the mountains and the feet of the fellow that bears what? Good tidings. I hope you're getting my point. You're either an agent of Satan or an agent of God. Be careful what you spread. What you spread, how is he helping somebody? Is he, is he releasing faith into the atmosphere? Or is he releasing fear? One child was going on the road. A dog beat him and he died. Now you are forwarded to your neighbor. Okay, what have you now done? I hope you know, at least 10,000 children walk on the road in Enugu every day. And none of them is beaten by any dog. I hope you are aware of that. So why should you be the one? Scaring parents. Say after me, say in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. My feet are beautiful. My feet are blessed. Because I bear good tidings. I bring good news. I spread good news. I increase faith. I increase confidence in God. In the lives of those who read my messages. Now, fear will not come upon you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you will not have cause to fear in Jesus' name. Amen. When you lie down at home, you will be safe. Amen. 
Father, we ask of you, grant visions of angels to some people here. Amen. You will see your guard angels. They are tall and mighty. Amen. The Bible says they are mighty in strength. Amen. And they have received an instruction from God to keep you in all your ways. Amen. Therefore, I declare, safety is your portion. Amen. In your going out and in your coming in, safety is your portion. Amen. No evil will befall you. Amen. No plague will come near your dwelling place. Amen. No matter how old you are, I declare healing to every part of your body. Amen. Remember, old age is not a disease. Nor is childhood a disease too. In Christ Jesus, health is your portion. Amen. Himself took your infirmities and your diseases. And I declare with the scripture today, by his stripes you have been healed. Amen. No matter be that affli- will be that, what that affliction might be, whether it's in your head, in your throat, your eyes, your neck, your chest, your stomach, your skin, your back, your bones, your hips, your thighs, your legs, your feet, your bone marrow, wherever intestine, your kidneys, every part of you is declared whole in Jesus' name. Amen. God has sanctified you. There is no part of you that is unholy. Therefore, diseases cannot stay there. Every part of you has been consecrated to God. Therefore, the blessing of God, the blessing of health is upon it in Jesus' name. For you, there is no incurable disease. Listen to me. Two things are going to happen. Some, instantly, you will discover that that ailment is gone. For the rest, you will discover that you are getting better on a daily basis. But in both situations, the health of God will fully manifest in your life. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Bring forth your two hands. I want us to do something we have not done in a while. The blessing of God abides in those hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to give you an instruction. As soon as you get home, put a hand on your door. Those hands say, peace be upon this house. I hope you are getting me. Paradventure you left somebody sick at home. Proceed to that person. And place your hands upon him or her. And say, peace be upon you. And I say to you, the peace of God will dwell therein. In that home, peace will be restored in the name of Jesus. Quarrels will cease. Leaking roofs will even stop leaking. Prosperity will come into that house. And for the one who is sick, health has come. I don't care how bad it is, health has come. Even the day says incurable. Put those hands and say, peace be upon you. And health will come to that individual. Amen. Even if he's not a Christian, you, you're a Christian. It's even good. Your faith will help that individual. Once you love him, you love her. You're not experimenting. You really care. You really care. Your neighbor has been sick for the last three weeks. Doctors don't know what to do. Go. Say, I'm just coming from church. Peace be upon you that Jesus is the healer. I bless you with his healing power. And you will see testimonies in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father will thank you. Amen. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Those coming for the first time, just open your magazine. Please go to page 11. We want to share the grace.